Let's bow our heads before the Lord this morning. God, as we turn to the preaching of your word, we pray that you will do a wondrous work in our hearts this morning. God, I pray that the truth of it will resonate deep within us, that the very essence of who you are will transform us more and more into your likeness. God, we ask that you will give us the grace to believe. We pray that you'll give us the grace to endure and the grace to bring us home and to experience your glory forever and ever. God, that's our prayer for Grace Church Book Canon. God, we thank you for answering our prayer and giving them the full-time pastor. Lord, we thank you for calling Pastor Alan Hager to that fellowship. God, we now ask if it, we can boldly come before you through Jesus Christ, that you will sustain him in that new ministry. God, we pray that you will gather men around him who will keep him accountable and uplift him as he leads your people there. God, I pray that you will ground them in your word, that nothing will deter them from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you will use that fellowship, use Grace Church Buchanan to reach more of the lost around central West Virginia. God, I thank you for the ministry of the International Mission Board. God, so many years ago, you calling men to go forth out of their homes, out of their own land, and into foreign lands, sharing the good news of Jesus where it hasn't been heard before. Lord, I thank you for continuing that call to brothers and sisters today. Lord, we thank you for the finances that you have sustained to keep that ministry going. Lord, we pray that in your mercy you will continue to call out brothers and sisters into the IMB, Lord, possibly from this fellowship. Send us to the four corners of the earth. Send us to places where the gospel needs to be heard. Lord, raise up the resources that's needed to make that happen. We know it's nothing we do, not our plans, but it's by your grace in your spirit that this happens, God. May that be so. Lord, we pray that you'll send brothers and sisters to the Iran in Pakistan. Almost 11 million of that precious people trapped in that false, wicked religion of Islam. Lord, there is so few believers. They're not, we can't even count them, Father. It's, it's estimated 0%. God, we can't even fathom that. Zero believers among that. We know that can't be so. God, send brothers and sisters to that people. Let them hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, break their chains of that false religion following that wicked book. And may they hear the truth of your book today. God, I pray that you'll establish churches among the Irenes. That you will grant them repentance and faith. That you'll raise up a people who will share with their own sisters and brothers, their own families and neighbors, God. And may the reign stand with us in all other peoples around your throne, God, we ask. You are faithful. You are the powerful one to make it happen. God, we do pray that you will help us to remove everything else now and just put all of our thoughts towards you in your word. 
may you continue to save us and mold us today. Use this word in your name. Amen. We have come a long way in the book of Nehemiah. We have gone from chapter 1, where God called Nehemiah. We've covered much of what most of us are familiar with in this book. The walls have been rebuilt. The people have received spiritual renewal. And the city has been repopulated. But it's important to see that the walls and the buildings are not the focus. And I've tried to stress that over these months. Even though that's what most people think of when they think of the book of Nehemiah, the walls are part of something much greater and more important. And that's true of most things in life. What the eyes see is temporary. And there's always something more significant and valuable behind the scenes. Looking forward to what God is going to do next, we've come once again to another list of names. The first part of chapter 12 has lots of names. And like before, these names are more than just words. There's more going on here. There's a reason why we're given another list. Most of these names were before Nehemiah's time. So in all of this, from the calling of Nehemiah to the rebuilding of the walls to the repopulating of the city, we would expect something else to now happen. But instead, our focus being turned backwards into the past. But they tell us something about the future. It's who has and who will lead the people in worship to God and who will continue that. It's a passing of the baton to a new generation of spiritual leaders, of the priests, the Levites, and the gatekeepers. Worship leaders who help the people focus on God. That's of His greatness, His attributes, His great works, and lead them to respond in a biblical, worshipful way. And that's why these names are important. This list shows that worship is once again the focus of the people. It's where the focus should be. The reason why these names are given is to emphasize the importance of worship within the holy city of Jerusalem. The people are being led in lives that are centered around God and His glory. This is not worship that the people are doing on their own. No idolatry here. It's not vain. It's not religious activity that centers on them. It's worship based on truth that they've learned from God's Word. It's worship that was given to them before, and now they've been given the grace to have it once again. The theme has been progressing in the book. From Jerusalem, a city in ruins and a people in exile, experiencing the effects of God's judgment for their idolatry and disobedience, to the holy city receiving grace and renewal, and the people being awakened once again 
to the greatness and the mercy of God. And Him drawing them through His Word into His presence for a purpose. For them to worship and adore Him. The walls have led to worship. The people's idolatry brought them to a place of misery and grief. Apart from God's grace, mankind's depravity always leads to immorality and ultimately to God's wrath. God was long in His patience, His long-suffering of the indignation that He endured for being dishonored and belittled. And He warned His people many, many times. The people forgot that God alone determines the manner in which sinners approach Him. He determines the kind of worship that's acceptable. And in His own right good time, He then exiled them. In that time of exile, God did not forsake His people though. He was sovereignly working for His glory in their behalf. He was preserving a people, not because of anything they did to deserve it, but in His glory, He stayed faithful to the covenant He made with them. Back in chapter 6, the walls were finished, but that was only halfway through the book. And since then, the people have opened the Word of God, and in that, God has led them from rescue to renewal and now to reverence. Chapter 12 brings the focus of this book to a climax. The renewal they've experienced is for worship. God is faithful both to His name and to His people so that they will be in the reality of His glorious name. God's faithfulness has led them to true worship that He accepts and that He's made possible. And it hasn't changed, has it? We're told that the worship God accepts is in spirit and in truth. And how do we know that that's true? It's the same as it was then. He's given it to us in His Word. That is why our worship is all based on Scripture. Real worship is on God's terms. The return from exile, the renewal, the opening of God's Word has led to this. The calling from God, the regenerating of the people, meaning God imparting spiritual life, has led to esteeming God once again, a treasuring of Him above all things. This is real worship. This is what worship is all about, a valuing and a treasuring of God above all things. It's a responding in the heart to the infinite worth of God. And this is what we want as a church, isn't it? God is not just included in our lives. We don't want to just add Him to our busy lives. He's not just a giver of good things. We don't just turn to God to get good stuff, nice stuff. He is the Alpha and the Omega. The one who is the reason for our very being. This is what we want as a church. The people in Jerusalem have not started anything new. And this list of names is the continuance of genuine worship. 
Their worship is one that's been practiced for, for generations. And the same pattern continues today. In this list of names here in chapter 12, we have the assurance that our faith is rooted in the past and is sustained by God's faithfulness so that we also will worship Him in acceptable worship forever. Ours is not a worship that we've made up. We can't separate what we do now from what was done in the past and handed down to us. Our worship was given by Christ and was redeemed in the Reformation because like the Jews, God's Word was rediscovered and is emphasized again. We don't add anything new today. Just because we live in the 21st century doesn't mean that what we do should be different from what other Christians have done in the past. We follow in our worship what God says, putting our focus on what's important to God and the worship that He accepts. This is what has always set God's people apart. It's our grace-filled worship. Think about that. What sets us apart from every other non-believer in this world is our grace-filled worship. Our lives are different because God has given us His grace to worship Him. There's a reason and a purpose in what we do when we gather. Our lives are worshipful to Him. This stems from what has been established in our past and has been given to us. It's because of God's faithfulness to His great name and to our good. And in this rooted praise is worship that's based on God's holy word. So what is it to be a worshipful people? What does it take to be a worshipful people? Well, first it takes being rooted in the past. What we do today has a foundation to it. Jesus told Peter in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. And Jesus has been doing that since the first century all the way through into the 21st century. We are linked to the past. If you remember back to the idolatry of the Jews, Israel was once split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Eventually, both were taken over and conquered, and the people were carried away into exile. Then some of the people, by God's grace, were allowed to return. And this is what Nehemiah 12 looks back to, is that first return. There are important lessons in looking to our past. The children of Israel's faith, like ours, is rooted in their past. It's not something new or novel that they're reestablishing here. As they look back to the proper and to the godly worship, they will be able to build on that heritage and move forward in their own worship, keeping God as the focus. And verses 1 through 11 is a list of names that looks back over a hundred years when the people began trickling back from exile. And in verses 1 through 7, there's a heritage of godly servants. Leaders with different gifts who serve God and the people. 
In verse 1, we're told of two key leaders in that list. Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, and Jeshua, the high priest. Zerubbabel led Jerusalem during the first wave of those who returned. And Jeshua was the spiritual leader during that time. Zerubbabel and Jeshua learned early on that what they were doing was not about them. It was all about serving the Lord and doing His will. Listen to what Haggai, a prophet in Zerubbabel's day, says in his book in Haggai chapter 2, verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. It was hard work that the Lord gave them. They had to serve Him and the people in the midst of hardship and ruin. Rely upon Me, says the Lord. Rely on My presence and I will accomplish everything that I have told you to do. Not only did they have to rely on the Lord's presence, they had to rely on His power as well. One book over from Haggai is Zechariah. And in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Then He said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So when we come to Nehemiah chapter 12, we see two men God used to lead the people in serving him once again. But they didn't do it in their own strength and they didn't do it in their own knowledge. They had a foundation on which they built. And not only them, the rest of the list that's listed there in chapter 12, those men knew that it was God they had to rely on and to serve. So it was God that sustained the Levitical service during this period of Israel's difficult history, from the exile to the return. And it was a great heritage to build upon. It was reestablished according to the standards God had set. And it was done with the same fervor and reliance on Him as it was supposed to be in the past. And it's the same for us today. Nothing has changed. Our roots are in our past. If you will, take your Bibles, put your thumb on Nehemiah 12, but turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 beginning in verse 10. Hold on to Nehemiah 12. We'll be back there. But turn with me and read along as I look at 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. It's page 953 in the church Bible. Here, Paul tells us of our, of our roots today. He says in verse 10, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It is Christ who laid the foundation of our worship today. That is why we gather on Sunday. We call it the Lord's Day, the day of His resurrection. It's why our singing has the psalms and the hymns about Jesus. 
Our worship is not done in our power or by standards we set. It is relying upon God's grace and His power in our worship. He is the one who saves us and redeems us. It's His presence that we seek when we come to worship. His Spirit draws us to Him and He sustains us and He keeps us. Not only is our worship rooted in the past, more importantly is how it is established. And that's by God's faithfulness. Back in Nehemiah 12, if you turn back there, from verses 8 to 11, our list of men who took their service to God very seriously. They were concerned about God being honored and the people giving Him the highest recognition in their lives. From verses 12 to 21, there's a succession of men dedicated to worshiping God. And then in verses 22 to 26, were men who were contemporaries of Ezra and Nehemiah. This is not a list of who's who in Israel. These men are not the ones who are being remembered because of who they are. It's their service that we need to remember. It's their service to God that we should look to. They didn't do it on their own. It it was God who was keeping them and sustaining them so that His glory would remain with His people and His glory would then go forth to other lands. It is His faithfulness that made all of this happen. God is immutable. He tells us that. He doesn't change. He's always the same. And this is encouraging. Through the generations, God ensured that genuine worship would continue. Look to the children of Israel. See their brokenness and their sins. And see a God who doesn't waver in His goodness and His grace. Our confidence in our worship is not because we have it all together. It's not because we can make things flow from one order to the next point of the service. Our confidence is knowing that God is forever faithful to His people. And that gives us the confidence and the assurance. This list of names provides us hope. Don't say to yourself this morning, there's no hope for me. Because there is. As long as God keeps this world going, we know He's bringing people into His presence. He takes broken lives and He rebuilds them for worship. All through that exile, God was working. He was putting together His glorious plan of gathering them back to Jerusalem so that His Son would then die on the cross and His glory would then go forth through the four corners of the world. Put your hope in God, this God who never changes. Our faith is rooted in the past. It's passed on to us because God is faithful to His Word. And He ensures that worship is genuine according to His standards to what He's given. Like the children of Israel, our worship is according to the Word of God. Their spiritual renewal stemmed from the reading of God's Word. And it's what's guiding their worship. And it's still that way again today. We sing God's Word. We pray God's Word. We read it. We preach it. And we display it. 
The list of names in chapter 12 shows the continuity of worship that was renewed because God's Word was rediscovered in the emphasis that it was put upon His Word once again. In the gathering of God's people, there's only one standard that the church ought to go by. God has told us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. The form of worship may vary from church to church, from local body to local body throughout the world, but only worship that God has deemed glorifying to Him and encouraging to His people is the worship that we pursue. So how do we know then if we're doing it right? How do we know that we're worshiping in spirit and in truth? We no longer have the temple. We all don't go to Jerusalem and gather together. Churches don't always do it exactly the same. We know because we all have God's Word before us in our laps this morning. It's in God's Word. The Bible tells us. It's how we know what true worship is. He says it's spirit and truth. The church didn't make it up. We follow what God has given us. Each Lord's Day, the church gathers under His Word to worship Christ. It's been that way since Christ was resurrected. The church gathers every Sunday then to do these five things. First, we sing the Word. We sing biblically rich songs that tell of God's glory, of a steadfast love and kindness towards us in which praise and offer thanks to Him. We also pray the Word. We pray in adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication with boldness because Christ gives us access to the throne. This is from His Word. We read the Word. We read the Bible publicly to proclaim the truth and be reminded of God's promises that they're all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Fourth, we preach the Word. And this is central to the gatherings when we gather together. To understand God better is why His Word is preached. Now oftentimes when we, when we hear the preaching, we, we start to go in and we say, how does this apply to my life? But the preaching of the Word primarily has the purpose of not improving these temporary lives. It's to help us learn more about God. And it's a means of His grace. We only preach Christ crucified, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And God also gives us the picture of His Word. Christ gave us two signs to display His Gospel. Baptism, which signifies the public commitment to Christ and His life, death, and resurrection. And then together, identifying as His people. And we also have the Lord's Supper that we're going to be taking here this morning, which represents our eternal dependency on Christ and our waiting for His return. All of this is according to the standard that God has set and established in His Word, so that He is worshipped in glory and praise. He has determined what it is, not us. Our worship is rooted in the past. Not by men who knew more than us. Not by people who were more spiritual or religious than us. But by God who kept them and led them in His faithfulness to His own great name. And then ensuring He had a people who would gather around His throne 
in worship. And that is what we do this morning. This worship has all of our attention and focus that's on Him. That is genuine worship. It is God who makes all of this possible. He sets the standard and He gives the power. And by His Spirit, in His grace, He makes it all happen. The church today worships Him because of Him. And we worship for Him and in Him. Our manner of worship is different than the children of Israel because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. But ours is sustained by the same God who loves His people and gives grace to us. The children of Israel were waiting for a day when God would fulfill His promise to bless all nations. And today, we are living in that promise. We now carry our worship to lands who don't know what genuine worship is to a people so they will come and worship Him in spirit and in truth. We take God's Word, not just so they'll go to heaven. We take them God's Word so that they will learn what true worship is and worship with us in heaven. This heritage of worship is given and it's expected to be passed on. God has chosen the church to be His instruments to teach and to guide and to show what worship is. Let's not lose sight of that today. Let's keep worship where it should be and let's do it in a manner that God accepts for His glory and our good. Let's pray.